Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Okay, how are you guys doing? And I'm coming to you on another beautiful morning here in Puerto Vallarta. Nice to see you, as always. So we are moving on in Second Chronicles 17 and 18, and we're going to jump right into it. But I would be remiss if we did not first do a dad joke. So here it is. As politically incorrect as it is, probably. Ben and Jerry's really needs to improve their operation. The only way to get there is down a rocky road. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. Don't eat Ben and Jerry's anymore myself. I'm not in agreement with their policies. So we're going to move on into Second Corinthians 17. So find your places. Please have your Bibles open and read along. Correct me when I'm wrong, especially on the names. And let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning you've given us. God, continue to guide us, continue to show us these truths as we look into your word each and every day for our morning spiritual sustenance. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles 17. By the way, I am reading from the New American Standard Bible in case any of you wonder about that. want to read in the same version. It's up to you. Jehoshaphat, his son, then became king in his place and made his position over Israel firm. He placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had captured. Verse 3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father David's earlier days and did not seek the Baals but sought the God of his father and followed his commandments. He did not act as Israel did, so the Lord established the kingdom in his control, and all Judah brought tribute to Jehoshaphat, and he had great riches and honor. He took great pride in the ways of the Lord and again removed the high places and the Asherim from Judah. Then in the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hiel, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathanel, Micaiah, to teach the cities of Judah, and with them the Levites, Shemaiah, Nathaniah, Zebediah, Ashiel, Shemirmoth, Jonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, Tabonanijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Joram the priest. They taught in Judah, having the book of the law of the Lord with them. And they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught among the people. Now, the dread of the Lord was on all the kingdoms of the land which were around Judah so that they did not make war against Joseph. Some of the Philistines brought gifts and silver as tribute to Jehoshaphat, and the Arabians also brought him flocks 
7,700 rams, 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat grew greater and greater, and he built fortresses and store cities in Judah. He had large supplies in the city of Judah and warriors, valiant men in Jerusalem. This was their muster according to their father's households. Of Judah, commanders of thousands, Adna was the commander, and with him 300,000 valiant warriors, and next to him was Joanan, the commander, with him 280,000, and next to him, Amasiah, the son of Zikri, who volunteered for the Lord, and with him 200,000 valiant warriors, and a Benjamin, Eliada, the valiant warrior, with him 200,000 armed with the bow and shield, and next to him, Jehoshaphat, and with him 180,000 equipped for war. These are they who serve the king, apart from those whom the king put in fortified cities through all Judah. Chapter 18, verse 1. Now, Jehoshaphat had great riches and honor, and he allied himself by marriage with Ahab. Some years later, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and oxen for him and the people who were with him, and induced him to go up against Ramoth-Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, said Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he said to him, I am as you are my people, as your people, and we will be with you in the battle. Moreover, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire first of the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel assembled the prophets, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go against Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And they said, Go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not yet a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord but I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring me Micaiah, Imlah's son. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting each on his throne, arrayed in their clothes. They were sitting on the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets were prophesying before them. Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah, made horns of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Arameans until they are consumed. All the prophets were prophesying, thus saying, Go up, Ramoth Gilead, and succeed, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Then the messenger who went to summon Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Behold, the words of the prophets are uniformly favorable to the king, so please let your word be like one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what my Lord says I will speak. When he came to the king, the king said to Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go up and succeed, for they will be given into your hand. Then the king said to him, How many times must I adjure you to speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? So he said, 
I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep, which have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each of them return to his house in peace. Then the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing on his right and on his left. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, to go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said this, while another said that. Then his spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and prevail also. Go and do so. Now therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of these your prophets, for the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenaniah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the Spirit of the Lord pass from me to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you will see on that day when you enter into the inner room and hide yourself. Then the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this man in prison and feed him sparingly with bread and water until I return. Micaiah said, If you return safely, indeed, the Lord has not spoken to me. And he said, Listen, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up against Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and they went into battle. Now the king of Aram had commanded the captains of his chariot, saying, Do not fight with small or great, but with the king of Israel alone. So when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, they said, It is the king of Israel. And they turned aside to fight against him. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. And God diverted them from him. When the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. A certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel in the joint of the armor. So he said to the driver of the chariot, Turn around and take me out of the fight, for I am severely wounded. The battle raged that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot in front of the Arameans until the evening. And at sunset, he died. Well, there's a lot lot going on there. So Asa was his father, pretty good king up until the end. This is still not that long after David and Solomon What's interesting is how these things start falling together. If you were with us on Wednesday night looking at Josiah's life, second greatest king of Judah, many people believe after David, followed God with his whole heart, his whole life. Josiah comes almost 200 years after this, a long time. And imagine Jehoshaphat sent the Levites and the priests out all around Judah to teach them the word of God. They must have had a copy of the law in order to teach them. So it is, I'm wondering if this was the end, so to speak, uh, this was the last time that we really saw the word of God being used. 
if there wasn't 200 years pause after this. I don't know that. I have to study that more. But I have to look at, uh, don't see it. This is where I know it's mentioned here with Hezekiah. But then we don't, I don't think it's mentioned again really uh, overtly until Josiah is, a copy is found in the temple. So we see that's a long time to be about the word of God. And now they had completely forgotten about it. But here he's, Jehoshaphat's doing the right thing in the beginning, man. He says, we we need to teach the people the word of God, send the Levites out to explain it to them. And this is key. The protection in your life comes from the word of God. It's your armor more than anything else. And we see how, how the king of the north here thought that he could Ahab, I mean, why would he make an alliance with Ahab? But he thinks that he can deceive the enemy. And we'll put the guy that follows God out there and make him think they're, we're us. That was interesting. I, I, I mean, Jehoshaphat makes a fatal, fatal flaw mistake in aligning himself with Ahab in the north. He probably thinks, I mean, he was thinking rightly, we're, we're all Jews. Uh, we are all Israel. We should be united. Not realizing that God had allowed them to go off into the north away from them because they were rejecting Yahweh. And so, you know, and so Ahab's armor did not protect him. He noticed it came between the joint of his armor, the arrow. But even though Jehoshaphat had all the kingly raiment on, and they all thought they were all going after him, everybody's going after him, he was untouchable because God was his protection. And we know that he was protected by God because he was following after God with his whole heart. And he was trying to get the people to, to teach them the word of God, how to worship God, how to follow God. So God became his protection where Ahab thought, no, I can protect myself physically with my army and deception. It didn't work. Interesting. Now, this whole thing about the prophets coming was, is interesting because he's got 400 prophets. But remember how the priesthood started up there when they left back when Jeroboam left and started the worship system in the north for the northern 10 tribes. Whoever would bring enough of an offering, enough money, could buy their way into the priesthood and become priests of these over the golden calves. So the whole worship system, everything was based on pagan idolatry and, and, and false worship, even though they would incorporate Yahweh into it and say, yeah, we still believe in Yahweh, but you know we're going to worship these golden calves. Don't you know the prophets had to have come about the same way? That they were like, hey, I want to be a prophet. Okay. And and maybe they were in touch with a few weird demonic spirits. Maybe they did have some gifting. But they were all wrong here. And it's so fascinating the, how this all comes about that we find out that Ahab knew that there was one prophet of the Lord. He knew there was a distinction between him and the rest of the prophets. He says, the other was he calls his prophets. There was 400 prophets. But... This guy was the prophet of the Lord. Of course, the false prophets claim to have prophesied in the name of the Lord, but we don't know really what Lord they're f- referring to there. Lord Baal, Lord Milcom, and all these other weird false gods, we don't know. They were, But they were trying to feign that they were prophets of Yahweh, at least to Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, right away, he's thinking, he knows. Wait a minute. These guys are, are idolaters in the north. Isn't there any one true prophet of God? And, of course, there was. And he gives them the truth. 
That's God had allowed a deceiving spirit to come into these other false prophets. So interesting how this all works. And God has a counsel in heaven. That's the other very fascinating part of this, that God listens to and has a divine counsel in his heaven. It says the spirit, doesn't say an angel per se. We know there's different levels and different types of beings, but he has a divine counsel and he allows them to speak and come before him and and say, yeah, okay, go ahead and do that. And we know he's divine. We know that he couldn't probably know exactly what the spirit is thinking and saying before he says it. But anyway, for our benefit, he allows him to speak forth and says, yeah, go ahead and do that. Because again, it was part of his judgment. He was judging the North for their rebellion and idolatry. So he was going to allow them to hear all these false prophecies of their success and allow them to go into battle because he's judging Ahab because he's so wicked that this is how God says you're going to die. Very interesting. And of course, there's lots of, about God seeing all the Israel in the mountains, all the people without a shepherd, without a leader. And, and, and you can really spiritualize that on what was really going on with Israel, with their walking away from Yahweh and how that it applied in the New Testament and a rejection of Jesus and killing him. And, and that Jesus is the one good shepherd that does care for the sheep. And he, of course, he, once he's resurrected, Jesus said he saw the people like sheep scattered too, I believe. And that he came to be the good shepherd, to bring them all together once again, all the north, all the south together, of course, the whole world as well. Okay, jumping over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, by glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying yet behold we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in a like exchange, I speak as to children, open wide to us. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, and what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Oh, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Wow. 
again, there's so much there. The Corinthians were obviously being affected, I don't know per se persuaded, but they were being influenced and confused by the pagans and by the Judaizers, the people said that they needed to become Jews, they needed to come through the law to be Christians and and held these festivals and all these kinds of things. But then there were these idolaters as well. And they were saying all kinds of things against Paul, Barnabas, all kinds of horrible things. And so they had to defend their ministry, and Paul is defending his ministry at the end here again. He's basically saying, don't get hard-hearted towards me. He had had to reprove them in the first letter for their drunkenness and their immorality and all of the, the crazy things they were doing that was way out of balance for a Christian because they had these pagan temples around them where people got drunk and they were sexual and moral and all these things were accepted in their forms of worship. And Paul, and because of that, he was attacked viciously by people all around that weren't really believers. But he says, you know us. And you know how we are. And he describes how they were. <laughs> that they were constantly trying to kill him, but they were still alive. They were, they were always saying things bad about him, that he was bringing death and bringing words to destroy them, and yet he was bringing words of life. All these dichotomies, so to speak. And so he, he says, just open wide to us. Just accept us for who we are. So this is what they do, and this is why Paul has to defend his ministry. But it's, it's amazing to see the truths that are spoken here, the, the simple truths that are, that are brought to bear as we read these things. And we see there's just so, so many rich truths that you can find in Corinthians. It's one of those books you want to study several times over in a Bible study. It's very, very rich. Okay, Charles Spurgeon now. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. John fifteen ten, These things cannot be parted. Abiding in obedience and abiding in the love of Jesus, a life under the rule of Christ, can alone prove that we are objects of our Lord's delight. We must keep our Lord's command if we would bask in his love. If we live in sin, we cannot live in the love of Christ without the holiness which pleases God. We cannot please Jesus. He who cares nothing for holiness knows nothing of the love of Jesus. Conscious enjoyment of our Lord's love is a delicate thing. It is far more sensitive to sin and holiness than mercury is to cold and heat. When we are tender of heart and careful in thought, lip, and life to honor our Lord, then we receive tokens of his love without number. If we desire to perpetuate such bliss, we must perpetuate holiness. The Lord Jesus will not hide his face from us unless we hide our face from him. Sin makes the cloud which darkens our sun. If we will be watchful, obedient, and completely consecrated, we may walk in the light as God is in the light and have as sure and abiding in the love of Jesus as Jesus has in the love of the Father. Here's a sweet promise with a solemn if. Lord, let me have this if in my hand, for as a key, it opens this casket. <laughs> That's beautiful. What does he say? 
in lip and life. I don't remember be consecrated in lip and life and something. It was just it's so poetic. He's so amazing the way he says. And you can go back and read that again. I don't know what it said here, but um, Jesus has this sweet promise for us that if we would abide in Him, then He will abide in us and overwhelm us in a sense with His presence and His love for us. And we need to walk in the light because he's in the light. This is the simple truths, but we kind of get it confused. I should say we get it things mixed up. Oh, I found it. When we are tender of heart and careful in thought, lip, and life. There it is. To honor the Lord, we receive tokens of his love without number. I love that. Being sensitive, being careful. Many of you are. You honor the Lord that way, and you are caring about people, and you see that the Lord then gives you these tokens of love, and you're confirmed in your relationship with him, and you feel loved. So you can obviously never outgive the Lord. What you give out, he pours in. He just keeps pouring in and pouring in you, and it flows out to others around you. It's really the idea here, and it is the way we should be. Okay, well, let's then thank him for that. Father, we do thank you for this morning and the blessing we have. We come before you, God, humbly and ask you to take this day that we are yielding up to you and and make it something sweet, God. We desire to honor you and to love you with our lips, with our life. And in that, God, be, be perpetuating within us holiness. Show us, God, how to walk with you. And uh, allow us, God, to see the way that you want us to go, the people you want us to talk to, the things you want us to pray for, the ministries you want us to partake in, the jobs you want us to take even. Uh, There's so much that we desire not to push ahead and do without first consulting you and asking you for this, just as Joseph was asking whether or not they should even go into battle. God's so wise to try and seek you before we press on into these things. So, We do pray for your guidance in these things. And for, uh, yet again, your help for those in dire straits. We see there's been a lot of flooding in Florida, a lot of flooding, I imagine, up in Georgia and going up as well. I don't know how many other places were affected by this hurricane tropical storm, but we do pray for people to be getting the supplies they need and that there could be recovery now. The floodwaters be going down. And as well, Father, for the devastation in Hawaii, the people trying to pick up their life again and find some, some, some list. Also, massive flooding in China, God. And we know that there's just, it's a tragic thing. And, and the, the poor have lost everything. And they live in such an oppressive government and system that seems not to even care about the quality of life or the preciousness of life. So, God, we can only pray that your Holy Spirit would then be revealing to them the true and living God and the reason why we're on this earth to go beyond the suppression of the government and bring your word of life to them through missionaries, through your word, supernaturally, through dreams, visions. Just be ministering there in China because these people are dying. So thank you, God, for what you're doing there. Continue to heal uh, those that are in need of it right now and also those looking for work as we live in troubled times and need to provide for our family. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
we will call it good for today and um, look forward to seeing you guys tomorrow as we press on. So keep encouraged and keep, uh, keep your thoughts set on him and walk in his light. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you.